Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Hey bitches, I'm back. I have so much to tell you, so much to talk about, but I really want to get this episode out to you before I leave for a weekend retreat um, in which I will be doing a lot of hard work on myself. So I'm sure you all noticed that I took a impromptu, unexpected hiatus from podcasting for the summer. And for my um, ghosting, I apologize and, um, but I'm really glad that I took the time to kind of step back and reevaluate and reconnect with my life. So I'm back and, um, yeah, still have a lot of things to tell you about with the break and reevaluating Mormon happy hour. (laughs) But regardless to say, I'm happy to be back. I'm thrilled to get back in and to continue to make connections with you listeners and to continue to bring you conversations with some of my favorite people on Mormon topics. So um, without further ado, um, I will get to thanking, wholeheartedly thanking you Patreon subscribers that stuck with me through the summer and didn't cut and run. I'm so grateful for that. Um, And yeah, I will be listing the names of a few Patreon subscribers that did sign up during the summer. So thanks for that. And yeah, I'm back. And uh, please enjoy an amazing conversation with Blair Osler on the Mormon Transhumanism Association. All right. I'm so excited today. It has been um, still a long time since I've released anything. So I'm still like, I have to get back into podcasting. So my apologies if, or my apologies if we're, I'm a little rusty. Blair, I'm sure it's going to be great. <laughs> so today um, I'm going to be talking about someone who you have heard on uh, or heard from on Mormon Happy Hour many, many, many times before. She's truly one of my favorite humans in the world. This is Blair Osler once again. And Blair, will you give us just a small introduction? You can drop some credentials that are relevant to today's discussion if you would like. Okay. Um, And just tell us a little bit about you. Great. Yeah. Uh, Blair Osler here again. Always a pleasure to be on the Mormon Happy Hour podcast. Uh, I am a philosopher. I got my degree in philosophy with an emphasis in gender studies. I also have a degree in fine arts. Um, I'm also an author publishing my first book, Queer Mormon Theology. And I serve, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. (laughs) Um, I also serve on three boards. I serve on the board of Sunstone. I serve on the board of the Mormon Transhumanist Association. And I also serve on the board of the Christian Transhumanist Association. So I keep busy. I keep busy, but uh, I'm really excited to be here and talk to you today. 
Well, thank you so much. So as I'm sure you listeners have guessed from the title and or her credentials, I have brought Blair back on today to pick her brain on what the heck is Mormon transhumanism because I'm starting from like zero. So I'm really, really excited to learn today. And um, Blair's perhaps my, well, I don't know any other transhumanisms by name. So you're my favorite for sure. <laughs> oh, perfect. Now let's just leave it at that. I'm your favorite transhumanist. Good. We can end it now. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing more to say. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Covered all of the important stuff. <laughs> all right. So trans transhumanism and then specifically Mormon transhumanism. So I, I've, I've gathered enough to know that, that transhumanism is the big umbrella. Mormon transhumanism is a tiny umbrella under a big umbrella. So can we start with what are the, the basic, very brief idea behind transhumanism? Yeah. So transhumanism is a philosophical movement uh, that's generally led by secular atheists. It's very much a secular movement. Oh. And the basic idea is this. We should be using science and technology to radically improve humanity. Uh, of course, there's going to be all sorts of ethical concerns of what that means, mitigating for risk, and all the complexities involved in that. But the basic idea is we should be using science and technology to radically improve humanity. This starts to branch off into all sorts of different ideas. Uh, ideas about ending aging, ide uh, ideas about um, enhancing our intellectual capacities, even ideas about resurrecting the dead and cryonics technologies and things mm -hmm. like that. It also goes into things of environmental conservation. If we have immortal bodies and all sorts of amazing, crazy things, where are we going to put those bodies? So it talks about Earth, or, uh, transhumanists discuss things like Earth preservation, space exploration, and all sorts of risks and benefits of engaging with certain types of technology. So transhumanism, the big umbrella, really is that. Okay. So very science-based with um, an emphasis on ethics, which part of me is like, why, why does this even have to be a thing? Should, don't, doesn't everyone think this way? But perhaps not. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. It's really interesting. People will sometimes think that transhumanism is antagonistic towards religion and religion and transhumanism can't play nicely because transhumanism, the secular side of it is basically saying, look, we basically want to turn ourselves into gods. We want to be able to end aging. We want to resurrect the dead. We want to renewal the earth to its celestial glory. They would never use that language. That's just my Mormon language. But basically all these ideas that are happening are done by works. And there are a lot of interpretations of religion that would say, you're building the Tower of Babel. You want to replace God with all sorts of hubris and things like that. And that's where Mormon transhumanism comes in. We kind of think religion and science and technology and all these things should play nicely together. Yeah. What a concept. I know, right? <laughs> and Mormonism specifically is very much primed for this idea, right? So mm. like if you have secular transhumanism talking about having technologies to end aging, technologies that could potentially raise people from the dead who were previously dead, which I know sounds like a crazy idea. Maybe we should come back to that later. I'll <laughs> touch on that again. But uh, we have all these wild outlandish ideas about what the future of science and technology could take, where it could take us. 
Mormonism kind of is saying the same thing, just in a slightly different language. Mormonism is saying, look, we believe in the renewal of the earth. We believe in immortality, transfiguration, the resurrection of the dead, and all these things. Transhumanism is saying, well, great, let's actually do it. Mm -hmm. Religion says, no, God's going to, some religion, some religion says, no, God's going to come do that for me. But Mormonism, again, is a little trickier because Mormonism is very much a religion of doing. You do things. Faith without works is dead. You have an idea where you load up people in the wagons, you head out west, and you start building Zion and crazy things. So Mormonism itself is primed with the idea that, okay, we have all these prophecies. We have all these ideas. Well, now let's do them. So Mormon transhumanism, I feel like, is just Mormonism engaged in as it should be engaged in. It's mm -hmm. actually believing and having faith enough to actually do something about it. We're not waiting for God to do for us what we can do for ourselves. I mean, I think history has shown and demonstrated plenty of times God isn't going to come down and stop the Holocaust. God doesn't come down and stop genocide. God doesn't come down and cure cancer. You know who does? People. People invent penicillin. People do all sorts of things to stop these horrible monstrosities from happening. Transhumanists are like, you know what one of those monstrosities is? Aging and death. Let's actually stop that. And, you know, a lot of secularists would tend to think that, wow, that's really unloundish and skeptical. Yet you also have the secular transhumanist movement full of optimistic people who are like, you know what? There's potential for that to actually happen. Because here's the thing. Think about it. If I traveled back in time and with the technology and abilities I have now, and I walk up to a hominid or a cave person or a Neanderthal, and I can flick fire with my lighter, I can play music out of my phone and magically make sound appear, they're going to think I'm a god. They're mm -hmm. going to think I'll be able to have abilities of things they can't even possibly comprehend. Enough technology is indistinguishable from magic. I mean, think about Wi-Fi for a second. The craziest invisible technology that allows us to interconnect with one another in ways that people in the past couldn't even fathom. So that's where we're at right now. Let's fast forward 100 years in the future, 200 years in the future, 300 years in the future. Are they going to be crazy when they're like, oh, you know, grandma had cancer, so we thought her, figured out how to fix it, unthought her, and then go ahead and fix her cancer. Maybe <laughs> in the future, something like that will be possible. Wow. <laughs> That's well, quite I know. I'm like... <laughs> We're already starting off on the right foot, Colleen. I'm like, we're going to saw grandma and cure her cancer. I'm, I'm completely serious. I love it. Okay, so I have, I have tons of things that, that you mentioned that I'm going to get to later, in, including yeah. in the tenants, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. I'm not sure if we're going to get a chance to talk about them, but one of the tenants of, I think it was transhumanism specifically, it mentioned like rights of um, and like basically protecting artificial intelligence. And I'm like, wait, pause. Like I've watched every movie starting with like, you know, the Terminator all the way up to know <laughs> what happens. <laughs> Why are we protecting AI? So anyway, I'll have to give back to that. I was, I thought that was very interesting that AI is included as like a protected, you know, non-human. Uh, 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 like a protected class. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, like as the same as non-human animals. And then it was like, you know, artificial intelligence. I'm like, I've seen that movie. I know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, we have a serious science fiction problem where the theme of artificial intelligence coming over to take over Earth uh, is, is, is the dominant narrative. And I'm just thinking, well... There's a lot of problems with that. And I'm not saying it's not a possibility. I'm just saying um, there are other ways to envision how we might engage more productively with artificial intelligences and what that might look like other than, you know, them coming over and killing us or using our bodies to feed into the matrix. Right. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm like, you know, in a lot of ways we are already there, but we just kind of, yeah. We're growing up with it, so we're 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 friends with it now instead of like the fear because it's kind of working into our life naturally. Hello, Alexa and Siri and all of them. You know, it's already there. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I think the basic idea of that tenant, though, is to preserve this idea of uh, consent and this idea of agency and this idea of liberty, um, which is problematic because even right now in our culture, we have problem with even respecting consent of people and we still have racism and homophobia and sexism and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so transhumanism sees that to the extent that consent is something even bigger than what we're experiencing right now. All these ideas that we have about subjugating and dominating and oppressing one another, once we throw technology into all that, it's going to change a lot. One example of what's happening right now, let's look at like feminist technology. We have different types of birth control, right? We can swallow pills that change our cycle, that impair our ability to uh, ovulate and be able to get impregnant. That's a pretty radical technology. We take it for granted every day, but that's a pretty radical technology. Mm -hmm. But one of the problems is who has access to that technology? how is it going to get paid for? Do we want people to have access to the technology? Why would we try to thwart someone's access to that technology? So I think the idea that, or the big takeaway from this idea of like protecting the rights of sentient beings is saying, you know, people should have a lot of say over what they do with their bodies, how they choose to use their bodies to the extent that it's not oppressive to others. I don't think it's oppressive to the human race for me to be on birth control. But for some reason, there's all these ideas impinging on my access to that technology and how that's going to function within society as a whole. Mm -hmm. For sure. I, I like tangent. No, 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 you did. You tied it back at the end because you said that, you know, we're, we're protecting the rights of sentient beings. And that's kind of the line that I read and it listed AI. And I was like, what? So that you, you tied it in perfectly. You were right on point. Good. Thank you. Um, so back to the little M of transhumanism, which is Mormon transhumanism. Um, yeah. So I noticed right away that the, the website for the Mormon and Transhumanist Association is transfigurism.org. And I'm like, could we get any more Mormon than that word? No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> We're out Mormoning the Mormons, okay? <laughs> Not true. for competition. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so that was interesting. Um, so talk about, and then I saw a release about, um, as I'm sure you and our listeners would remember, the M word is now constituted as um, a profanity and it is a win for Satan. 
and we cannot use it anymore. We can no longer, as um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, can no longer identify as Mormons or use the word in any way, except for like the Book of Mormon, but that's big ol' asterisk. So um, tell me, I didn't get a chance to read through the press release that I will link in the show notes. So tell me, Blair, from your words, why are, we, why are you, as a member of the Mormon Transhumanist Association, still using the word Mormon? Yeah. So for starters, the Mormon Transhumanist Association is in no way affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are a Mormon group. And I think it's important to recognize that the Mormon umbrella is huge. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is one portion under that umbrella. It's probably the biggest portion. Okay. Yeah, it is the biggest portion, (laughs) but that doesn't mean it owns Mormonism. Mormonism is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So one thing that uh, we've decided as a board is that we still embrace our Mormonness. And while the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is free to do what it wants to do as far as how it wants to be labeled, how it wants to be identified, and each of us has our own personal take on that as members of that organization, but that is still different and separate than our organization. We are the Mormon Transhumanist Association. And I think there's good reason to keep embracing the label Mormon everything from practical reasons to the word Mormonism even appears in Doctrine and Covenants. If it's really a win for Satan, why would that word show up in Doctrine and Covenants as something that we identify with? Our founders of our church, our prophets, everyone has embraced this idea that not everyone, Nelson hasn't. Most prophets have embraced the idea that Mormonism is something that we should be aspiring to as, uh, I think it was, it was either Joseph Smith or Brigham Young who said, Mormonism is truth. And wherever we find truth, we'll gather it up and we'll collect it and call it Mormonism. And I think it was President Hinckley, President Hinckley, who said, Mormon means more good. So when you're Mormon, you should be doing more good. Again, going back to this idea of doing. And so I see no reason why I should relinquish my Mormon identity because the prophet at the current time uh, or the president of the church wants to do a rebranding. That's mm-hmm. fine. If he wants me to call the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And I will oblige to that because I think we should respect labels, but that in no way means I'm going to relinquish my personal level or my personal label and my identity. Nice. So that's where I'm at with it personally. And as an association, we're just not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, many members are, uh, many members of the MTA, the Mormon Transhumanist Association, the MTA are also members of the LDS Church. And that would be for them to distinguish how they want to deal with that or identify with that. So we don't take a position one way or the other of people having to use the word Mormon or not use the word Mormon, but mm-hmm. we definitely embrace it for our purposes. Nice. Well, that answers all of my questions. Thank you. And yeah, mm-hmm. like, hell yeah for respecting labels. I like that you said that. And also, hell yeah, they can't tell me how I identify. Yeah, no, we're done with right. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not doing that. Um, okay, and then, so as I'm reading through the tenets of um, Mormon transhumanism, there's lots of Jesus Christ talk. Um, which I understand now, like that, that kind of deviates a bit from the standard big umbrella of transhumanism, which as you said, was, is mostly secular atheists. 
And so then when you go into Mormon, the Mormon transhumanist tenets, then there's a lot of talk of Jesus Christ. And so as I'm reading, I, I, my feels about, you know, God and Jesus are more on the atheist side of feelings. I'm just going to go with feelings for now. And so I was, I got a little caught up with the whole Jesus Christ talk. But then as I began to read, it talks about using him as an example and exemplifying his values and, and, you know, things like that. And I'm like, oh, this, this, I, I can, I can go with under a, a mythical Jesus understanding. And so then I started reading it and I'm like, I, I really, I still really get into this. Maybe not so much the Jesus in the Bible all the time, but the idea that Christians uh, present as Jesus and Christianity is there are some really great things that I, I believe, you know, should be emulated to, to, to show love for one another as human beings and things like that. Like that's a pretty common Christian belief is to love one another. So kind of based on that, I could get behind the mythical Jesus. So like, what are your thoughts on myth and Jesus and kind of how that works into transhumanism? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. Um, well, first, to join the association, you have to sign the transhumanist affirmation, which you're referring to. It has some Jesus talk in it, right? It has some Christ <laughs> talk in it. Uh -huh. And um, you have to agree to that, become a member. We do not stipulate anything about whether you believe in that literally, whether you believe in that metaphorically, whether you just take it as an example, whether you believe in it like you believe in Comic-Con, or however you want to interpret that for you, that's fine. You want to believe in a literal Jesus that walked on water? That's fine too. You could take it that way. We just uh, have the set agreement that Jesus is the good example. Right. And that's the one we should be following. Okay. So for me personally now, that's the, that's the MTA position. But <laughs> for me personally in my life, um, Jesus still holds significant value to me in developing an ethical and moral framework. Of course, I'm also a philosopher, so I understand the complexities of moral philosophy to a certain extent. You know, It's not so simple as an authoritarian telling you, hey, this is what you should be doing. Right. But Jesus specifically is a very, very inspiring narrative in how we can come to ethically engage. Uh, the most inspiring for me is Jesus came down and said, you know what? There's a new commandment now. And that new commandment is to love God and love each other. That includes yourself. Really, the most important commandment is thou shalt love. We should be loving each other. And I think that's a really good start and a moral framework of where we should go. Now, from there, we have all sorts of fun things, right? So Jesus also became the Christ, right? We have this idea that Jesus suffered and atoned for the sins of the world and became a Christ in this process. Now, if we read in Corinthians, what does Corinthians say? Corinthians says that Jesus invited us to join the body of Christ. We are literally meant to be part of the body of Christ with Jesus. And I take that very literally, but not literally superstitiously, but literally as in, this is an invitation for me to walk in the shoes of Jesus, to do the miracles that he has done, to feed people, to feed people with fish and bread, to heal the sick, to cure the blind, to heal lepers, all sorts of wonderful things. And how do we do that? By putting love first by putting love first. And so Mormon transhumanists take the narrative of Christ, 
literally or metaphorically, but take the narrative of Christ as this is the example we should be following. We should actually be doing these things. And we've been invited to do these things. We have these myths all set up in place. That's Mormonism. Transhumanism is, well, we should actually be doing this. If we seriously believe in these things, if we seriously believe that Jesus invited us into the body of Christ, what is stopping us from becoming Christ ourselves, from actually doing these things? We are Christ's hands on earth now. God's not coming down to take care of things, folks. Who's going to take care of it? Us. Us. And that's why, in a weird way, I take the scriptures very literally, but not superstitiously. Nice. <laughs> that's how I feel about Jesus. Interesting. And plus, Jesus is a great example, too, because Jesus is the example that Jesus was one of us. Jesus wasn't uh, up here in this untouchable sky God sort of way. Jesus came down to earth. He hung out with his sinners. He hung out with sick people, the woman who was bleeding, the woman taken in adultery. He hung out with the people in the times that uh, were, were cast out. He's this example of if you're going to be someone, if you're going to be the good guy, like this is the guy right here. Mm -hmm. I really like I really like Jesus. There, I said it. <laughs> I love Jesus. <laughs> so and this is just i guess for my personal curiosity but jesus as in you literally believe that jesus came down or you believe in a mythical literal jesus i mean literally the text says this and we should literally be following the text in that this is the invitation. So as far as whether or not Jesus ever existed in any kind of capacity or in what capacity that is, mm -hmm. that to me is secondary. I'm almost agnostic in that part. I'm like, that's not the part that is interesting to me. I don't need to prove or disprove that Jesus never walked on water to take what I need from the literal text that's here. The literal text, let's say, we'll say we'll, we'll, for easy because I'm assuming most of the, your listeners are not TBM Mormons. We'll no. say it's a myth for this. Okay. Yeah. For this audience, we'll say it's a myth. So even if it is a myth, we have this text with this story, a comic book, a comic con, whatever it is you need to take from this text. And the text is literally saying to you, Hey, here's the son of God doing these amazing things. We're going to atone for the sins of the world, make things right, renew the earth of its paradise of the glory. And guess what? As members of this planet, you are invited into the body of Christ too. You are invited to join in these good works too. And you literally should be doing those works. That's what I mean when I say literally. If I'm talking about literally Jesus walked on water, I don't know. I don't really care. It's a great story. Let's find technology to figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I like how it, it that is like, I feel like a lot of times when people are struggling with what they believe, because Mormonism teaches us that that's foundational. You have to know who you are and where you're going. And if you don't, then you can't right. do anything else. So I feel like, <clears throat> like you were saying, you know, well, I, I'm taking the teachings of Jesus and, and that's what's important. And you're asking me, do I really believe in him? And you're like, that's not really important to me. And I feel like that's such like a lot of people get lost in the weeds of whether he really existed or not. And you're like, dude, you're lost in the weeds. Like that's come back over here. This well, is important. That's, yes, exactly. I feel like the idea of, um, do you believe in Jesus or not? And I'm like, I believe in Jesus to do something about it to where some people take it. Do you believe in Jesus enough to not do anything about it? 
wait for Jesus to come do things for you. Wait for God to do things. And so when people ask me, do you believe in Jesus or not? I'm thinking, I maybe believe in Jesus more than you because I believe enough to actually do something about it. Whether or not that literally existed in the past, gosh, you know what? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out someday. Maybe we won't. But the point is, believing in Jesus doesn't mean idly waiting for Jesus to come save you. That's never what the scriptures taught anyway. We have grace and works. We have both. Yeah. And as you're talking, you're describing how, you know, Mormonism is a philosophy and a religion of works, like the whole bootstraps mentality of like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make something happen. Like that is fundamentally Mormon, but you know, and, and the idea of like sitting back and waiting for God to do something like, I don't really like, yeah, I'm sure we could find references of that within Mormonism, but for the most part, that's not really like, we are a very works based get yourself out there you know we do believe in that and I I totally see how you're right transhumanism and Mormonism do really go together because it is it's like transhumanism is like let's do it Mormonism is like let's do it and yeah you can totally commingle them I see it right right and I very much feel like to Mormonism as again as a myth as a narrative as a religion as a theology and ideology it's very much primed for the idea of that not only should we be doing it, it is righteous to be doing it. We have been called to do it. We have literally been called to participate in these ideas of building Zion and things like that. So of like all different, all the different ways to interpret Christianity and things like that, Mormonism is especially primed for in all sorts of ways. And like, I, I, and I know that as people experience faith transitions and things like that, they maybe prefer ex-Mormon and post-Mormon. And I still consider myself very much Mormon in, <laughs> in, in all sorts of regards. In the regards that like, this is still, I think, a very practical uh, myth to be engaging in if we engage in it more thoughtfully. Of course, there are problems to it and things like that. But um, if we engage in it a little more practically, uh, you essentially get transhumanism. So for example, so this is really interesting, you know, in Mormonism, I don't have to explain it to you, but I will. Uh, (laughs) We have the idea of baptisms for the dead, temple ceilings, redeeming our dead, and all sorts of ideas about uh, living together as eternal families, right? Mm -hmm. We have these rituals to participate in these things. I would think your average Latter-day Saint would probably assume that once I've done the ritual, I've checked it off my list and God's going to save me and make sure my family's going to be together forever. I think the average Mormon transhumanist would say that was a really great ritual so far as it inspires you to actually go make that thing happen. Nice. So this is... This is where you get the idea of, um, I think it was Uchtdorf who said, God is much more willing to help the person who prays and then gets out of the cart to push the hand cart as opposed to the man who just said a prayer and waited for the push cart to get pushed. So say your prayers, do your rituals, enjoy your myth, do what you need to do to inspire yourself, then go get to work. Then let's actually go make it happen. You can pray all day for Jesus to come renew the earth to its paradisiacal glory. But at the end of the day, guess who's going to have to do the heavy lifting? Guess who's going to have to do that? The body of Christ, us. We're the ones who are going to have to do that. Jesus is going to come down and go like this. Look at that. Hallelujah. Earth's renewed. No, we have to do that. It literally says we are the ones that are supposed to do that. It literally says the earth will be prepared for celestial glory. And this is that where the inhabitants will live forever and ever. This is Doctrine and Covenants I'm quoting here, like 
haphazardly quoting, but still. Uh, but this is where heaven and eternal beings are going to live. And guess what? We will receive that blessing according to our desires, according to our works, both faith and works. So if we literally want that myth to happen, God's not going to come down and give you celestial glory. That's not going to happen. It's going to be according to our desires and our works. So we want celestial glory on earth. Well, guess what? We have to do that. Checkmate. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, Blair, listening to you talk about Mormonism, like it blows my mind because I'm like, man, if this is how Mormonism really, really worked, if everyone believed this, dude, I would still be in it. But and it's so funny because like you go back to the scripture and you justify what you're saying by actual Mormon scripture. And I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. But at the same time, I know from my experience growing up Mormon, that's not how everyone interprets it. And I'm like, it just makes so much more sense. And I love that the, uh, the, the fact that you have the, well, I don't even, what, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but you, choose what more you define what mormonism is to you and you live what you believe is mormonism and that doesn't at all mean that you fall in line with whatever salt lake says and what whatever the quorum of the 12 and good old nelson says like you blair you listen to what is what you believe is is right and should be done and you you loudly champion it and i love that and so it's like you use mormonism like for you it's mormonism but like for for me i'm like that's that's blair's mormonism and i love it i love it so it's just i don't know i just i'm always fascinated to hear you talk about mormonism I will commiserate with you and say that definitely my view is not the standard Latter-day Saint view. Sometimes I sit in the pews and I'm like, are we even reading the same book here? What are you even talking about? Like, it's literally in the scriptures. Like, are we not reading this? Sometimes these things just take time. And I think there is something to said about as far as established religion, creating some type of authority structure as far as it goes as a, a security blanket. It's really nice to have someone at the top telling everyone at the bottom, if you do these things, you're going to be safe. Whereas I'm saying something a little different. There's not like this like person at the top saying, do this and this is how you're going to be saved. I'm saying, we all have to do this. I'm putting the responsibility back on individuals, back on membership to be able to take responsibility for this. Because I think it's unfair, at least in the Latter-day Saint tradition of Mormonism, to be able to project all this onto a prophet and be like, prophet, you need to take all the responsibility and all the authority and make sure that everybody gets back safely and da da da. And I'm just like, that's that's not even Mormonism. That's some sort of a weird authoritarian view that I can't exactly. even get on board with. Mm -hmm. But um, again, for me, this is why I can't not be Mormon because the way I see Mormonism, I I, I can't divorce. I mean. I can divorce myself from certain ideas of authority, but I can't divorce myself from my religious myth. I mean, this is my myth. This makes sense. This is what I should be doing with my life. It brings me purpose. It brings me meaning. And make no mistake, everybody out there searching for purpose and meaning except for hardcore nihilists, okay? And if you find that in myths, there's nothing wrong with that. We all believe in myths. We believe in all sorts of myths. I mean, they create the structures of our society, the myth of currency. Currency isn't real other than in our imagination, folks. We made it real. We <laughs> made currency real with our imaginations. And so with that, 
that's what we do. That's what we do. We make the myth real. And that's the weird part. That's the really weird part, Colleen. So here's the weird part. I know I get so excited about this. The weird part is, is that we have this myth in place and this idea of Mormonism, again, reductively, we're going to renew this planet and make it a heaven on earth. We're going to have immortal beating beings. We're going to resurrect the dead and we're going to all live really nicely to each other, with each other. Okay. We have that myth. And um, most people will be like, oh, okay, that's a nice story. Congratulations. Bedtime story. Good night. That's enough. TBMs will probably say, oh, that's literally going to happen and God's going to come down and make sure that happens. But my take is, here's the weird part. What if we actually took that myth, that mythological idea of what we're supposed to do and actually made it true? And at that point, when we actually make it true, using science and technology among the means, not the only means, but among the means using science and technology to radically enhance the human experience and allow people to live forever and to use our resources way more uh, productively and renew the earth to its glory and all sorts of things. At that point, if we make the myth true, what does that mean about our myths? We need to start taking our myths very, very seriously. I have two pet peeves. First pet peeve, people who don't take their religion seriously and people who take their religion too seriously. You gotta find that, I, I know, right? I know, I know. Because when myth becomes the precursor to reality, what are we gonna come up with next? So hypothetically, let's say you're an atheist and you don't believe in any God at all. That doesn't mean God isn't manifesting all sorts of things all around you through people's belief in God. Whether you believe in God or not doesn't mean God isn't this powerful force that causes us to do all sorts of things. We, we get married in the name of God. We kiss in the name of God. We kill each other in the name of God. We do all these things in the name of God. So hypothetically, even if there is no God that exists, this myth is influencing the tangible reality we live in right now. So if people want to sit and not myth all day long, that's fine. You go ahead and not myth. But guess what? Myth is making the gears turn. Myth is where we are going. And for me, that's kind of the practical take on faith too. I like the idea of faith as faith believing that tomorrow can be better than today, that we can make something better. And then works is how we actually make that happen. I don't like the kind of faith that says, well, if I really believe Jesus is going to come make it happen for me. No, I like the kind of faith that says, I believe enough to make sure that actually goes out and happen. If you don't believe it's even possible, how is that possibility even going to be realized? If you don't believe we can discover a cure for cancer, how are we ever going to discover a cure for cancer? No, the faith comes first, then the works, then reality. How weird is that? Faith in Mormonism, have the works, then reality. That's weird. That's <laughs> weird. Am I right? I think that's weird. But who knows? Who knows what the future holds? I'm just one person. <laughs> that is beautiful. And I feel like I just watched the, the plot of a sci-fi movie in real time just now. It, but, <laughs> but it was beautiful. <laughs> right? And, well, and and it, that is inaccurate. Like we do, well, and we do, we do have a little bit of a sci-fi problem in Hollywood. Sorry, a dystopian sci-fi problem in Hollywood. Because mm -hmm. it's always so dang dystopian and exploitative. And really what this is, is what the way I see it, it's the manifestations of our fears of what technology is going to do if we keep our oppressive nature and attitudes. Because let's be honest, 
Like if we're worried about the future of technology and the stratification of like people having access to different things, you know, what we're really afraid of is things that are happening right now. And that's what these dystopian sci-fi things are. The, 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 the internalized fears being projected onto these narratives to warn us, hey, if we keep oppressing certain classes, this is what dystopian sci-fi is gonna take us. If we keep hurting and uh, disallowing people from having equitable access to these things, we're gonna create horrible oppressors and all sorts of, like, again, going back to myth, like in Christianity, we have the idea of Satan, right? And we, we, we love the idea of Satan coming in and showing us all how it's going to be and bringing us all down to hell. That's what dystopian sci-fi is. That's the Satan of technology. The idea that someone's going to come take away your agency, someone's going to oppress you, and someone's going to bring you all down to hell. Here's the thing, though. I get really annoyed in religion when people give Satan too much airtime. I like Satan. Satan, Satan. Satan's functional, right? It's nice to have the boogeyman in the closet because it makes you behave the right way, right? So mm -hmm. Satan serves a function. That's great. Dystopian sci-fi, it serves a function. But I want to give my airtime and my attention to God, to Christ, to these other more inspiring narratives that say, hey, let's go all do super cool God stuff. Let's go cure cancer. Let's do all these other things like that inspire us to become better people. I like the dystopian sci-fi if it's helping us mitigate for risks. But to the extent that we can't even envision a happy possibility with AI, a happy possibility with awesome technology, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. We have to have faith that we can have some cohesive kind of way to exist with one another. But that's just my take on sci-fi. Well, and it, it, it plays back into religion in that you're suggesting and I, and this is what you and I definitely share in common. You're suggesting that with a Satan narrative, people will be acting out of fear. Even, even with like a graduated heaven, people are, are acting out of fear because they don't want to get stuck in something that's not as cool as what they could have gotten if they had made better choices in air quotes or whatever. And so right. that like a Satan narrative or even a graduated heaven narrative, which is all Mormon, those are both acting out of like you're living your life out of fear and what you suggest and what I think is a much better way to live. And, and I have a hard time thinking of a society that lives this way, like not a hard time, but I have a hard time thinking that the world would buy into what you and I believe. I feel like they're so locked into religion that they can't open their brain and say, I can live for love instead of living for fear. And how much better would the world as a whole be if we all lived for love? And how can I be a better person here on this planet? How can I make other people's lives better, you know, by radiating my own goodness and joy and happiness instead of, oh my God, if I do the wrong thing that I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to be damned forever. And, or maybe I might not make it to the, you know, the celestial kingdom where I can see my family, like fear, 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 fear. How about love what I have here right now? I have my family here right now. I do, you know, or, or most of them or, you know, or whatever. And I can love them now. You know, I don't have to live mm -hmm. for fear. And so that's kind of how I yeah. see it. 
what you were saying. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, and again, that's what Jesus taught, right? Like going back to the myth, that's what Jesus taught. We're here to love each other. That's the first commandment right there. And then we take it from there. Mm-hmm. Fear is functional in the sense that, you know, when I, when I encounter a bear, I should be afraid of what action I take next because that action next can either result in my death or my survival. So same with the dystopian sci-fi. We should be afraid of our actions to a certain extent that it could lead to our demise or it could lead to our descent, or our uh, 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 success. But the problem is you're right. When everything is so fear-based, it can be uh, immobilizing and contentious and it can focus, again, on being fearful of the wrong things. So sometimes in, depending on what religion you're a part of, uh, the fear-based tactics are usually like, do you wear the correct underwear? Did you say the correct words in the temple? Did you do this? The, did you orthopraxy the right way? Whereas it's not the problem that necessarily we don't have a little bit of fear because we should have a little fear, but those aren't the things we should be afraid of. The things we should really be afraid of is, um, did I kick my gay son out of the house? That was a bad action. We should be afraid of a society that thinks it's okay to kick our children out of the house when they don't perform their gender the way we want them to. These are the things we should be afraid of. We should be afraid of fascists who rise up and good people around us don't do anything to stop that. So fear plays a role, but it can't be the only role. You are absolutely right. It can't be the only role. It has to be about love first. Love first. And it's so funny you're saying that. I am preparing to go on um, like a, a empowering women's retreat, and and so I'm really working towards the the goals that I started the year with, and really personal growth. And one of the things that I wrote down, which I love writing, because sometimes I write down things that are like I didn't even know that was in there, and like that's like prophetic and inspirational, and like all of a sudden it comes out on the paper, and I'm like, that's amazing. I'm gonna keep reading that because I can't believe that came out of my pen. But one of the things that I wrote down is that I feel like, you know, there's a lot of past trauma in my life. I want to be able to identify and make nice with my trauma and basically say, thank you. Like I'm, I'm thinking like KonMari style. I'm like, thank you for the fear that kept me safe. I appreciate right. what you did in my life. So thank you, trauma. Now, goodbye. Like, and just goodbye. let it <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and that's the exciting part too. I feel like that—that that is the liberating part. That part where you can start envisioning something better because once you envision it, your work starts to reflect it, and all of a sudden you've made a reality. And that's why it's really important that we take these ideas seriously. So thank you, fear, but goodbye. Right. I like that. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks mm-hmm. for the warning. I appreciate your attempt uh-huh. to remind me to stay safe. I get that. Yep. I love it. Now, goodbye. <laughs> yep. Awesome. awesome. So something I wanted to talk to you about that I, I knew I knew it would take us forever to get here, but I still want to hear it is Blair, what drew yeah. you to transhumanism and specifically to Mormon transhumanism and kind of tell me about your origins within transhumanism. Yeah. So, um, 
first of all, I'm first and foremost a Mormon. I nine generations of Mormon pioneers flowing through my veins. I married my Mormon seventh cousin. My kids are 10th generation Mormons. Like I, I just can't get any more Mormon. Like even if I wanted to be post Mormon, like I couldn't, like you couldn't remove it from my DNA. Like I wouldn't even know how to function. Um, so first and foremost, I'm Mormon. I bumped into Mormon transhumanism before I even learned what transhumanism was. I didn't even know what transhumanism was before I heard about Mormon transhumanism. Okay. And I found Mormon transhumanism when I was at a point in my faith journey uh, where I was just stagnant. It was like sitting in a swampy mess of stagnant water. It was... Uh, it was robust. I didn't feel like I was being challenged. I didn't feel like we were doing any of the things we were talking about. We talk about how important it is to, you know, heal the sick and help the poor and all these things. But like, I felt like, where are we really going with this? At the end of the day, when we do all these rituals, what are we doing with these rituals? I don't really believe that that ritual is going to bring back my, my, my dead relative, you know, like I, 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 it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I actually, uh, before I found Mormon transhumanism, I was an atheist for a while and I had rejected the idea of heavenly father. I, and this was all wrapped up in feminism too. I rejected the idea of heavenly father and having, um, a patriarch being a judge in Zion and Israel and all sorts of things about what they were telling me about my gender, about my sexuality, being bisexual, about my body and my experience. And so I just got to the point where I was kind of done with what I was being taught because it didn't match what I felt to be right. Like my feelings mattered. And at that point, I kind of came to the conclusion, oh, there probably just isn't a God and there is no meaning to anything. And we should all just like wallow in our own misery in the fetal position, which Mm -hmm. I did for a while. And it sucks. Um, and not to say that all atheism is pessimistic like that. That's just how I experienced it. There are some very wonderful atheists. I'm not trying to like (laughs) consolidate a movement into my own experience. Um, no, but for me, that's what atheism very much was. It was very much, um, a sense of disillusionment with the disillusionment with primary myths that once brought me happiness and no longer brought me happiness anymore. So I bumped into Mormon transhumanism and I found this group uh, actually through a family member uh, and I was totally intrigued. I was skeptical, but I was engaged and I was excited, but also like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. And the more and more research I did into Mormon transhumanism, the more and more it made sense as far as like, this is the part of Mormonism you always loved, Blair. This is the things that inspired you and brought you joy and happiness. This is just the practical take on it. When you cut through the weeds of, I, I, I reductively call it superstition and get to the heart of it, this is Mormonism as it should be practiced. I was hesitant to join the association at first um, because it was led primarily by men, Mormon men. Yes. And again, all, I, I know, shocker. <laughs> and I was very skeptical to engage in another space that was primarily led by Mormon men because, you know, I had a, my own bad experiences with LDS men and telling me how I'm supposed to act and with my body and everything that um, I actually didn't join the association. My husband joined it first. And he was the one who's like, no, Blair, this is really cool. You, you really love this. Da, da, da. I was like, I don't know. So I just sat in the fringes, studied <laughs> independently. 
But the more and more I got into it, the more I was like, no, this is really good stuff. I know it's being led by dudes right now, but that's not, that's, that's, that's just, that's just a temporary glitch. We I can, can get over that. that. <laughs> I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Totally. And so anyway, one thing led to another. I started blogging. I joined the association. I started blogging for the association. I eventually became a board member and was a board member for a few years before uh, becoming the CEO. And then I started doing CEO responsibility things, eventually stepped down from that. I'm still a board member. Now we have an awesome CEO. Now she's doing great things too. And, um, she. we have a lot more. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I know <laughs> <laughs> I won't take all the credit, but I'm going to take some of the credit. Um, I, I am the most senior ranking female board member as of now. Um, and hopefully getting more women involved too, because again, I think a lot of Mormon women who do become disillusioned with the LDS church do become skeptical of entering into male LDS or male Mormon spaces, even if they're post-Mormon, ex-Mormon, intellectual Mormon, you're, you, you're hesitant, right? I was too. Yep. So you feel me. So anyway, um, going through fast forward, um, I was most drawn to transhumanism, Mormon transhumanism, because I was the way I felt Mormonism should be lived. But for me personally, in my life, it started to feel so unbelievably natural. I saw it everywhere around me. Um, from having, a a non-binary biology, atypical biology. I have a bicornate uterus, weird testosterone levels, and all sorts of things going on with my body. And being able to reproduce and have children and literally having technology save my life. Literally having my, my, my son, when he was born, he had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck because he was transverse. It was, it was a really scary experience. Anyway, he came out and he was blue and he wasn't breathing. And, uh, so there they had him like this little blue dead baby. And then all of a sudden the miracle of modern technology and medicine comes by and starts pumping this little blue infant. And, oh my gosh, I might get a little teary, but starts pumping this little blue infant and literally brought him from the dead. He came out of my body without a breath and his heart was just shh. And all of a sudden, through the magic of technology, and I'm going to say the word magic, I don't even care, the magic of technology, we brought this little blue infant back to life. And in my mind, it was like, this is the beginnings of what resurrection looks like. When we think about resurrection, we think about resurrecting some cremated body from 600 years ago. I have no idea what that could even look like. I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to start simple with what I know and what I've experienced. Didn't you My see son was dead. I, I know. Right. Yeah, totally. Definitely. That's, that's the image we're going for here. Uh -huh. But like literally we got, went from this little dead baby to this thriving nine-year-old boy who I'm sending off to school, you know? And so when we talk about this idea of people, people get really skeptical and they're like this idea of like, okay, you're going to resurrect people from the dead. It's like, okay, I know that sounds kind of crazy the way it's being uh, said right now, but not the way I've experienced it in my life. The idea of what it means to be dead philosophically means beyond resuscitation. And if we can bring someone back, they're not dead. And so we've already been begun the process of doing that. We just need to get better at it and better at it and better at it until all of a sudden we realize all these things that we thought someone meant as dead. Well, they're not dead. 
if my child had been born even 20 years sooner, the technology that led to our survival was that relevant. He would have been considered a stillborn, they would have buried him, and he would have been dead. But technology changed that. He was not dead. So this idea of dead being a relative state dependent upon technology is a real thing. Take that philosophically to the nth degree. Well, you've got some really weird ideas about what resurrection might look like and might entail with enough technology, with Wi-Fi technology, with all sorts of technologies that haven't even been comprehended yet 300 years into the future. They might be like, oh, again, grandma died of cancer. That's okay. We'll unthaw her. We'll fix that. We have, you know, customary biogenetic medicine that can take care of her specific genetic cancer. We'll bring grandma back. She's not dead. She's recovering. So the idea, the difference between dead and recovering is relative, is relative. And to me, this idea was a lived experience. And when it became a lived experience, and then I put words to that experience, it was like transhumanism. Oh yeah, I'm totally that. Yeah, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Let's get on board with it. Yes, there's risks. And yes, we should talk about the risks involved in you know, our technological advancements. But for me, it was very much this idea of this is exactly what I think we should be doing with our time on earth. We don't have a lot of time on earth. Time is short, time is precious. And transhumanism, like that's my myth. Mormon transhumanism, that's my myth. That's 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 how I live. And we all we all have our myth. And you know, and I'm not even saying everybody's myth has to be my myth, but I think I have a really good myth. <laughs> I agree. I, I, yeah. I like it a lot. It makes me happy. <laughs> good. So how many years have you been in transhumanism then, Blair? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. So I joined the MTA right around the time I was threatened with formal disciplinary counsel for my activism and feminism. It had nothing to do with transhumanism, but it was my activism and feminism in the LGBT community. And they wanted to formally discipline me and take away my temple recommend. And I remember being so infuriated that uh, that's when I ran into transhumanism. So that was what year was that? That was at least six years ago, maybe five years ago. So five or six years now. Yeah. And so I'm on my second term with the board now. So I think I've been serving for, yeah, probably about five years ish, something like that. That still feels pretty recent. I mean, I feel like in your timeline, that's forever ago, but that's really (laughs) recent. That's crazy. You've grown so much in five years, Blair. I know. I'm I'm a big girl now. Uh, No, honestly, I think part of the reason that is too, because Mormonism primed me for transhumanism. I bet you if you take the average Mormon as opposed to the average whatever else, they might grapple with transhumanism in other ways because their religion in so many ways has primed them for these ideas. And it just, I don't know, it just clicks. It just makes sense. And again, that's my Mormon bias coming through, but I think I, my Mormon bias is okay. I'm, I'm not, you know, I like my Mormon bias. It's like when you, when you took the discussions for transhumanism, it just felt right, right? I know, right? It did. It did. <laughs> it felt right. And I think that that's, I, it, I, like, it's fun. I, like, I get that we poke fun at it and stuff too, but I think there's something to be said about how we use our feelings in coming to ideas of truth. And I'm going to use that with air quotes though, for people who can't see me, this idea of truth. I'm pretty agnostic on the idea of truth, even existing. Okay. We have honesty, but truth, I don't know. That's, that's a whole (laughs) other philosophically concept idea than being honest. But when we talk about how our feelings relate to truth, I mean, at the end of the day, we don't know anything about anything 
we don't know why we're here. We don't know how we got here. We don't know. I mean, we have a lot of interesting, good scientific understanding about how we got here. But like the idea of like where we are in the universe and where we're going and what happens when we die and all these things, there is so much we don't know that the idea of, yeah, I'm going to do things a little bit based on my feelings right now because my feeling says that this is a good feeling and I, it's good to want these things. So I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. And again, that's kind of like my take on Mormonism too. Like um, I use prayer, not necessarily as a way to communicate with something out here. I use prayer as a way to communicate with something right inside here. Yes. This is for me to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? And so depending on how you're engaging with prayer, but for me, that feeling that's how I come to realizations of truth with a little T, not big philosophical. T uh, you're going to have some philosopher on here be like, Blair said truth. No, I'm not talking about that truth. I'm talking about little T truth, little Blair truth. <laughs> I love it. I love the yeah. example that you set in being authentic and not only knowing yourself, but then loving what you know about yourself. And I, I really, really admire that about you. And it gives me a lot of, uh, you're a good example to me for what that looks like and what I want in my life. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> Aww, thanks. So how my next question that I have written down, you've kind of answered, like how does MTA, the Mormon Transhumanist Association operate in relation to the LDS church? You're not affiliated, but how, right. how would you say, how would you describe the role of MTA in in direct relation to the LDS church? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, first, I'll just say that in order to be a member of the MTA, you can be a Latter-day Saint, you can be an atheist, you could be anywhere in between. We actually do surveys and demographics to figure out where people are, uh, where our members are who fill out the survey and stuff like that. And we have a huge, broad range of different people who identify as Mormon transhumanists. Hmm. So, um, with that, uh, as far as our involvement with the LDS Church, the majority of our members have been in one way or another affiliated or disaffiliated with the LDS Church. Mm -hmm. So there is a prominent, uh, I'm going to reverse your question, a prominent uh, presence of how the LDS Church functions within the Mormon Transhumanist Association, even though they're not directly affiliated. As mm -hmm. far as what Mormon Transhumanism does for the LDS Church, I think that's definitely the more interesting conversation. Yeah. So the LDS church right now is experiencing the growing pains of a young religion. And I think we've seen that in the form of like faith crises. We got the CES letter, Mormon stories found uh, podcast and all sorts of things happening to where this idea of information coming through funnily enough, the means of technology, the internet, like now with technology today, someone can go through a faith crisis and remove their names from the church within four weeks. And actually I've seen it happen. So with the amount of information that's uh, being, uh, the, the, the accessibility to information right now is created a, a, a significant disruption in the LDS church. And the LDS church is trying to grapple with that right now. They have things like the essays, trying to be more transparent, trying to bunker in their, uh, their, their safety love group, but at the same time, try to priest the Finch group. And this is all tied up in technology and access to information. Um, before, 
a faith crisis only happened to, you know, church historians who actually had access to archives, to things like that and everything. So accessibility to information is changing that. Mormon transhumanism can do a couple of things for the average Latter-day Saint. If you're a Latter-day Saint who has, uh, or a Mormon who has lost interest in the LDS church and is pretty much just kind of done with that narrative, Mormon transhumanism functions as a way to stay connected to the Mormon parts of Mormonism that you like. It's a group where you can come talk about these ideas, engage in these ideas, and uh, be a part of the conversation still, but probably in a more productive way than other uh, post-Mormon groups that are out there. Mm-hmm. I think another interesting thing Mormon transhumanism does for someone who is a believing Latter-day Saint, in some ways it kind of functions as an inoculation to a faith crisis. Mm-hmm. If you already have a more nuanced view of Mormonism, uh, I will say a more Mormon transhumanist view of Mormonism, the idea of literal truth claims, historicity truth claims, the book of Abraham, it kind of becomes a little less um, earth shattering, Right it comes a little less earth shattering that you could still engage in Mormonism in meaningful ways without it necessarily being true with a capital T. Mm-hmm. So Mormon transhumanism can function as a safety net for those who have already left and not interested, but also function as an inoculation for people who are in and um, maybe will have maybe less of a faith crisis. Of course, other things are contributing to that too. I think we've seen the height peak of the uh, faith crisis bubble and what's going to slow down from there. The, the, the Gen X uh, generation definitely, I think, got the brunt of it because there's this explosion of information coming at you in ways that it's never come before through social media, the internet, blogs, podcasts, all these things. And this was not accessible before. I don't think it's going to be the same case with Mormon millennials. Sure, they're leaving religion, but it's for different reasons. It's not necessarily the book of Abraham that's doing it for them. It's about the function of the community and the role it's playing in their lives and things like that. It's not necessarily about the faith crisis truth claims. It's about, well, what is my religion doing? Why are you being mean to people? Shouldn't we be being nice to people? Things like that. Um, Again, that's a little reductive. But as far as Mormon transhumanism is concerned, it can function in all sorts of different ways for people's lives. I'd like to think, and this is my own hubris talking, I'd love to see Mormon transhumanism or Mormon transhumanist ideas being adopted by the LDS church to make the LDS church more practical in its interpretation of theology and its engagement of ritual. I would love to see the LDS church come out and be like, congratulations, we've done a lot of work on genealogy. We love genealogy. Now we're going to start teaming up with uh, DNA analysis and we're going to start keeping track of this and we're going to try and figure out how we can do better with um, our goals of immortality and things like that. I would love to see the church participating more in more uh, practical and functional ways of actually fulfilling our prophecies. I would love to see the church come out and say, you know, we're going to adopt a more Mormon transhumanist view and actually um, engage more in earth stewardship. And how do we take care of this planet? How do we enable life and flourishing on this planet to continue? You know, because we've already prophesied it's been, you know, the paradise of old glory, so on and so forth. So if it were me, uh, I think the LDS church should definitely adopt more Mormon transhumanist views. But that depends on the people, right? That depends on people. People have to listen to this, internalize these ideas, go back to the pews and start talking about these ideas enough for people to listen to them and be like, oh, you know what? Baptisms for the dead was cool, but maybe we should do something about it. That's what it's going to take. 
And, you know, we're still really small. I mean, we're not that small. We have about 800 members worldwide. But, you know, the bigger we get, the more people are going to listen to us. So mm -hmm. that's where I see Mormon transhumanism in relation to the LDS dialogue and narrative happening right now. Interesting. Yeah. It, the way you were talking about it being inoculation, I feel like transhumanism opens the door to mythicality, which is funny because originally transhumanism is not mythical, but within Mormon transhumanism, it allows that interpretation. It's like, keep your mythos and incorporate more philosophical ideals of what life looks like on this planet and merge them together. And that, that's yeah. where you get Mormon transhumanism. I, I love that. Which, oh, and I love that you mentioned too, that like secular transhumanism, which is funny because sometimes there are secular transhumanists who will kind of poke fun at religious people or even religious transhumanists and be like, look at them, they still believe in religion. And I just want to say to the transhumanists, you believe technology and science is going to make you a god and you're going to be able to resurrect people. How is that not religion? How yeah. is that not religion? So uh, it's, it's definitely just um, another way of incorporating mythos into uh, you know our, our, our purpose, our ideas of what brings meaning to life and again you, you hit the nail on the head it's like mormonism but more practical <laughs> totally <laughs> mm -hmm. so um we i think we we've exhausted our time but i did want to to mention all of the things that i'm going to be putting in the show notes because I, I i skimmed through them before we spoke and they are fascinating and so i want my listeners, if they wanted to give a little bit more time to what you and I have been talking about, I want to point them in the right direction. So you sent me some links. Do you want to maybe describe the links that I will be putting in the show notes so people can know where to go for some more information? Absolutely. So um, first of all, there's our website, transfigurism.org. Super, <laughs> super fun Mormon name. Um, and on there, you'll find our transhumanist uh, declaration. That's just the general declaration that all transhumanists agree to. And then the uh, Mormon transhumanist affirmation, which is strictly for Mormon transhumanists. Uh, you can read those over, think about them, talk about them, all sorts of fun things. Uh, and if, if you find that that's something you're into and something you're interested in, you could actually become a member. And to become a member, all you do is agree to those two documents. And again, we encourage really diverse interpretation of those documents. You can be an atheist and believe in those documents. You can be a TVM member and believe in those documents. It just basically means that you think we should be using science and technology in really good ways to help people. That's the short of it. So hopefully you'll put those links in there. I, I guess if I may, another way people can get involved, there's also, um, we have monthly meetups if you're local in Utah. We also have our Facebook group. Uh, we have some stuff on Twitter. The most interesting content is probably on our YouTube channel where all our talks and our conferences and everything have all been uh, live streamed and put in little YouTube uh, videos for people to go watch and listen to if they want to. And then if you really want to get involved, you should come to our conferences. We have one every summer. We just had one. Uh, uh, well, actually in April is in the spring. We have one every year. And uh, you should definitely come join the conversation, talk to some people. And um, I'll, of course, go friend me on Facebook or whatever, Blair Osler. And uh, I'll, I'll plug you into transhumanist stuff too. I'm always posting things about that. So hopefully you can include some of those links in your cool podcast. Yeah, definitely send me the Wait. one for you 
YouTube and I'll put that in there. And awesome. um, so, so Twitter, uh, Facebook group, what are some other things that you mentioned? YouTube channel. Um, just, just YouTube channel, the affirmation, the declaration, and those are all on our website. If you want to go through those, another thing people can do if they want to start getting interested on their own too, is we also have on our website primers and they're just like little short mini discussion lesson things of, um, things you can read and think about. And, uh, if you want to bring those to this discussion in our Facebook groups and things like that. Cool. Or again, contact me and I'll send you places and we'll do things and you know, we'll make, we'll, we'll, we'll make gods on earth. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Perfect. And then I, I saw some uh, links to humanity plus on your website. What's that? Oh, so humanity plus is probably the biggest transhumanist organization. That's the secular transhumanist organization. Um, I would say, a lot of Mormon transhumanists are members of H plus as well. And we have a really good relationship with H plus. So that's where you would go if you want to learn more about um, that more the techie science side of uh, transhumanism. Cool. This has been fascinating. Yeah. I have learned a lot today. <laughs> I'm so happy. No, thanks for letting me come shoot my mouth off. Like I always do. I it's love, well no, seriously. I, love coming on your podcast. You're one of my favorite podcast interviewer persons. Love <laughs> well, it. Thank you. <laughs> it's just because I love you, Blair. The, whatever we talk about, it's just like, whatever. It's just an excuse to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, cool. Well, I'll also include a link to Humanity Plus then all by itself so people can learn more about transhumanism. Big umbrella too. So yeah. is there anything that awesome. we forgot that you wanted to include? No, I don't think so. I, I thank you so much for having me on. Most of the time people want to talk to me about queer stuff. So I'm so happy I got the chance to talk about transhumanist stuff because it's just as fun as exciting. Honestly, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it brings joy to my heart. Thank you. <laughs> well, I will have you back Blair for lots more queer stuff, including, have you published queer polygamy yet? Uh, so Queer Polygamy did get published in Dialogue. So it's in the uh, winter issue of Dialogue, if I recall correctly. And, uh, or no, maybe it was the spring issue. No, it was do spring I, issue. It was the spring issue of Dialogue. Do I have to have a subscription or can I still read it? No, no, no. I can get you a link, a PDF link, and I'll cool. send it to you. So yeah, Queer Polygamy got published. And my book on queer Mormon theology isn't due for like another year but if everybody wants to hear my book sooner go email steve evans at by common consent press and say hey when's blair's book coming out that way i don't have to constantly do it <laughs> so when's blair's book coming out we want to hear more so sorry steve you're gonna get some emails now <laughs> steve's a great guy i'm so glad you're working with him that's awesome so can i put the link to queer polygamy in the show notes as well the pdf Absolutely. We'll go ahead and put that in the link and you can put the link to my website. You can find all the things. Just, just dive right into the rabbit hole because my, mine's a fun rabbit hole. Mine's the rabbit hole with, you know, weird technologies that resurrect people. I mean, it's cool, right? It's sci-fi. Awesome. Totally. It's the non-dystopian sci-fi. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Blair. It's been a pleasure as always, and hopefully it won't be too long before I have you back. We'll find another very queer polygamy and or just queer topic to dive into together. <laughs> Wonderful. I'd love to be back. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much. And that wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers.